This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakon, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And that's all you want to say? That's that's it. Well, I'm okay. mixing it up for the listeners. You're mixing it up for the listeners. That's right. Okay. Yeah, sometimes so they get are... a little extra thing, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, it it's, keeps it's them on about... their toes. Yeah. And we anyway, we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We are here to educate and to inform our listeners about this cult and to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. This one is especially related to uh, education and freedom of thought. In Freedom of thought. And I think that's going to be really fun. Uh, content warnings for this episode. Uh, we're going to do very, very brief and mild discussion of Christian schools. 
uh, could be triggering to some people, but it's it's not graphic at all on our end. No, it's it, I mean, I found it very interesting. But before we get into all of that, I would just like to remind all of our listeners that the Leaving Eden podcast is currently a fully viewer supported podcast and that we work hard to bring you not just one but from now on, two episodes every week. And so if you enjoy this content, you can subscribe to our Patreon where we record bonus content. You know, we're going to have, uh, we have extended episodes and then we also have exclusive video content that's going to be going up pretty soon. Um, and if you don't want to join the Patreon, you can support us in other ways, you know, recommend the podcast, to your friends, your family, your coworkers, uh, we're trying to grow our audience. Um, if you listen to other podcasts, send an email or a social media message to hosts of those podcasts. Maybe they want to get us to come on for an interview or Sadie to come on for an interview because her story is so interesting. Um, any way that we can get the word out about this, about what we're doing, we can. Um, you know, I, I, this story is, is really an incredible story and we want to get it to the ears of as many people as possible. Um, you can also join our Facebook group if you like this and you want to have an in-depth discussion about it. Uh, the Facebook group's called Eden Exodus, and uh, you can find it on Facebook. And yeah, uh, the other thing is we are extremely excited to announce that uh, we're going to be coming out with our Christmas special. Um, it's going to be fun for the whole family. There's going to be stories. There's going to be contemplation. There's going to be music. And- That's going to be fun. It's going to be fun oh, getting it done. Exciting. But it's also yeah. going to be fun sharing it with everybody. No, we're we're really excited about this because, uh, you know, clearly, you know, as this is a religious podcast, uh, the holidays are uh, a religious time of year, and it's a great way for us to, in my opinion, in a very positive way, in a very, um, you know, a, a fun. Some of it's going to be a bit serious, but some of it's going to be a bit lighthearted. Um, so you and, just mentioned, yeah. uh, you said something about us being a religious podcast. I have, yeah. in the last few weeks, I feel like I've really fallen in love with the idea that we have a truly interfaith podcast. It's true. We do. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And I don't know if we really set out to do that or if it kind of just happened because both of us are just genuinely, sincerely religious people in our own ways and are in our own faith traditions. That's true. But it's really started to kind of like be one of my favorite things about our show is that we have like, like it doesn't, it's not the topic. It's not what we do every single episode, but we have a legitimately beautifully interfaith podcast. And I think that's, that's, I've started describing us as that is like, oh, well, I have an interfaith podcast about cults. You know what? I should start describing it as as that as well. I've just been telling people, oh, yeah, my friend was raised in a cult and uh, we we talk about it. It's really interesting. You should listen. They're like, oh, interesting. But if I'm like, oh, it's an interfaith discussion, um, they'll be like, oh, wow, that sounds intriguing. That sounds like you're actually smart, that you actually know <laughs> stuff about things, which I don't. It does make us sound, <laughs> yeah, it does make us sound very smart. But also there's that, I don't think we would have the show that we have if it wasn't, you know, that we come from two different but interrelated faith traditions. Well, you know what? This is just evidence that, like, all of the people who are, like, you know, they complain about, like, oh, well, blah, 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 forced diversity is bad and this and that and the other thing. Well, you know what? If you get different people of different perspectives, then unexpected things happen, and that's more interesting to listen to and to pay attention to any kind of media than it is if you just get a bunch of people who are going to say the same things over and over and over again. Um, then you get different stories and you get things that are interacting in different ways. And then if you look into the philosophies of what's going on, then you can really like 
say, oh, well, this is the same. Oh, this is different. Well, how does this relate to that? And yeah, that's a lot of fun. And we also get to I, like- I feel smarter because of it. Yeah. And I, what I really appreciate also is getting to be an example, uh, a, an example of diversity and an example of understanding. Uh, you know, one of us will say something. I, okay. So 10 years ago, if you had called the New Testament the sequels, I think I would have gotten offended. I called them the sequels to be polite. If I, I called them the fan, <laughs> the fan fiction, I know you mentioned to me that your dad heard that and he was like, I, I didn't care. He for that. wasn't <laughs> mad. He was just like, okay, dude, that was not for me. <laughs> but like, well, and, and but also like he's he's a he's a minister. He's given his life right. to uh, a more strict form of Christianity than I have, and I think that's totally understandable. You know, but, I was actually you know, I, I was thinking about oh. Oh, Keep I was going. just saying, you know, I get to, to kind of have that humility check of, okay, well, for a lot of Christians, hearing that would kind of get them riled up or they wouldn't, that would, that's not something they'd be able to handle in a public forum. And that's totally okay, you know, for people who that's just not for them. Uh, but I've been, I, I get the gift of getting to kind of hear stuff like that and accept it and, learn from it and you know i feel like i feel like that's a neat thing that i get to do it's a it's a patience check it's a humility check yeah that's true um and while people may be mad at me for blasphemy um i i I don't know what to say i guess i could say that you guys are all guilty of idolatry and what are you going (laughs) to do about that so like i don't know i I had coffee before i I recorded can you tell yeah. Okay. Well, I had a glass of cognac before I recorded. Really? So can you tell? Yeah. No, that's cool though. Congratulations. See, I, I and this brings me into uh, this because I bought the cognac for in case we won the election, and I wasn't going to open it until we declared victory. Um, and so I know that we are all tired of talking about this and hearing about this, but this is the first episode that we have done since. The presidential election, uh, Donald Trump has lost. Yes, he has lost. Um, Joe Biden has won. And suffice to say, the these times are definitely interesting. And it has certainly created some scenarios that my civics education did not prepare me for. I think I remember hearing about this old saying. It's like an ironic curse. Uh, something along the lines of, may he live in interesting times. Is that, uh, I think that's Chinese, right? Uh, so I actually looked it up. So it's, so people say that it's Chinese, but it's actually probably not. It's just oh, interesting. Saying. Okay. I'd heard it was Chinese, but okay. That's, that's interesting. I had uh, two, uh, but like one thing that I've learned as far as diversity, which we were talking about a moment ago in something that probably went on Patreon. Um, one, one thing that we can do for diversity is like, if you hear like, oh, ancient Chinese proverb, like Google that because it might not be. And that's reductive. It's probably, it's somebody probably read it on a fortune cookie and then they're like, oh, it's clearly an ancient Chinese exactly. proverb. So like, that's yes. like one small thing that we can do when we have the emotional energy, like when we have the spoons is just look up stuff like that and kind of clear those old misconceptions. <sighs> yeah. But like, any, I mean, that, that interesting time thing is I feel that I feel that I feel like. That curse is especially real for everything that's gone on in 2020. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what 2020 actually reminds me of is like when my dad would say, uh, don't ever pray for patience. Like, don't ever pray that God will make you a more in, a more patient person. 
because that prayer will always get answered and it will never get answered in the way that you hope for. <laughs> like that's a totally the same energy as the phrase about interesting times. Well, I believe your dad is a smart man um, because I think that everybody's patience <laughs> was tried by a three day long election. Uh, <sighs> I did not sleep for three days, but Thursday night I slept soundly, very soundly. It took yeah. so it took me it took me until Friday to sleep through the yeah. night and not wake up like wake up at two in the morning to check Twitter and realize that they're not counting votes in the middle of the night and that, that there's not going to be a change in anything at two in the morning. They were counting votes in the middle of the night on Tuesday. I was looking at Wisconsin. I was like, oh, yeah, on, t- on Tuesday, back when we were all 10 years younger. Yeah, yikes, man. We talked about baldness a bit, man. I feel like (laughs) I lost a a lot more hair over those three days. Ooh, it all fell out. Well, I'm usually about the furthest thing from what you'd call patriotic. Like, I grew up evangelical, so I got pretty burned out on that kind of thing. So was, was nationalism stressed, like, really hard in your church when you were growing up? Okay, so yes. But also, no, my church was not even close to being one of the actually crazy nationalistic ones. Okay, but you like, so you had me listen to the uh, the Hiles Anderson tour group CD yeah. of like all like American patriot. It was like, I'm a Yankee doodle, Dan. Yeah, I, I know like, like four people who sang on that tape. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying that that wasn't even close to like the the top tier no like so so my church was nationalistic but compared to other churches that i know about we were not that not that far gone on the scale of things that are crazy like all we did was decorate for the fourth of july decorate for memorial day decorate for veterans day sing patriotic songs as hymns for all of those days and have at least one so veteran's like battle appreciation. Him the republic right which is i still okay. will tell you just is a banger on piano um, cause you can do a rolling baseline. It's great. I've heard you play it. Yeah. It's fun. But so, so like we were still directly taught like America is a, is a Christian nation. It belongs to God and it's our responsibility to bring America back to God. All of that stuff that Jack Hiles said, uh, we were also taught that patriotism is a Christian virtue, but my actual congregation that I grew up in, I'm, I'm, st- I'm telling you, it's not as crazy as other churches that I know about. You know- I think it's funny because like growing up, you know, I I would growing up in Portland we would be like America is not a Christian nation. Our founding fathers were not. Uh, then I look at the country now. I'm like, yeah, this is a Christian nation. <laughs> and I might piss some people off and I'd be like, but I might piss some people off by saying this. I'll say. Um, yeah, I said that. Uh, I spam my inbox if you want to get mad about that or write us an email um yeah anyway, you know what I, we I, don't get is enough hate mail that's true <laughs> oh man i've had to block some people on twitter um with their podcast anyway, account or like with your account oh with my account oh, with okay. my account um yeah it's, but, but see i think it's interesting like that because um like in a jewish service sometimes you'll hear uh, a prayer for the united states uh, it, it'll have in like the prayer book, but usually in the prayer book, it'll be something along the lines of uh, like, dear Lord, please ensure that the ideals of liberty and justice are applied equally to everybody. Something like that, which is 
like like it'll be like a prayer for justice but it will be like specifically tailored like you'll see next to it like in case you're reading it in canon there'll be like a prayer for the nation of, of canada okay. and so like whatever country you're in there will be like a prayer for your nation so it'll be like specifically tailored to that um back to the topic of nationalism though i always do like to ask people who went to you know like normal school uh did you say the pledge of allegiance in the classroom in the morning so i grew up in portland oregon um during a time and so during the time when i was in elementary school the president was George Bush. It was George W. Bush. Uh, and George Bush was not particularly popular here. Um, and uh, during this time, a lot of people were very worried about extreme nationalism, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think that like we like we didn't really say earlier in elementary school um, – you know, maybe we did towards the beginning. I don't know. It wasn't such a big deal. I mean, Bush wasn't like the most popular guy like before the Iraq war, but he wasn't like, I mean, people didn't hate him, hate him at that point. Um, but I think it was like after nine 11, which happened when I was in third grade, um, we started to say the pledge of allegiance more. And so we'd say it in third and fourth grade. But then when I was in fifth grade and this was like after the war had started, um, I, I had a teacher who was not at all a fan of George Bush and he was not a fan of the war in Iraq. And, you know, and so he wouldn't have us say it because he's like, they're brainwashing you into just thinking all sorts of like dumb stuff about this country. But, you know, he would always warn us about the dangers of like American nationalism. So he wouldn't have us say the pledge of allegiance. Um, Actually, I think he died like 10 or so years ago. He was a great teacher. His name was Mr. Norman. He was really good. But yeah, um, so into high school, it like it really didn't happen so much because, you know, just I was in public school and you're always changing classes, just too chaotic. Okay. I mean, so in my school, we definitely did. So we had assembly every morning. Uh, so we, we did say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning, uh, but we also did three other pledges of allegiance. Three other? Yeah, that's so, a lot of allegiance. Yeah. So have you heard of the Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag? I have not. What what is this? Are you aware that there is a Christian flag? No. So it does it look like the American flag, but it's got a cross instead of all the stars. So it's a white flag with a blue yardarm and a red cross. What's a yardarm? Uh, it's the 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 square part on the upper left hand side of a flag. So on the American flag, it's the part that's blue with white stars. Okay, and so there's a red cross on that. Right. So Okay, I'm picturing it in my head. I know what it looks like then. Yeah, you know, it's very simple. Uh, but it's the American flag colors, but with a cross. Huh. Okay, well, that's not weird. It's not, is that weird? It, I don't know if that's I weird. think it's a little sus that it is the American flag colors. I think that says a lot about whoever designed the Christian flag. Just think about that one. Anyway, uh, if you want to, tr- if you want to hear the Christian flag pledge, I can try to do it from memory. Yeah, why don't you go for that? Okay. Tell, tell me what it is. So let's see if I can do it. Um, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Oh, okay, I'm pretty sure I got that right. Interesting. So that's like, I mean, it's like the Pledge of Allegiance, but they just put Jesus in there. Yeah. So we did like the American flag pledge, and then we did the Christian flag, and then we did Pledge Allegiance to the Bible and Pledge Allegiance to the local church every morning. That's a lot of allegiances <laughs> that you have pledged. It, it is a lot of allegiance. Uh, yeah. So mm. 
So the four pledges thing, uh, as well as some interesting flag it's code. It's weird how dual allegiance is like an anti-Semitic trope, but then you guys are pledging allegiance to like. <laughs> I mean, it's also anti-Catholic. Oh, right. I, you I, remember what they yeah, said about too. Kennedy and the same thing that they're going to say about Biden now. Yeah, although they're going to say, well, Biden's not a true Catholic because he he is pro-choice or whatever. You know what? But we're yeah, totally going to talk. We're that. totally going to talk about that at some point. We will. Because like the the uh, Biden has already kind of run into some controversies controversies, and it's very interesting because it can talk about the doctrine of uh, excommunication. So there's there's a lot to talk about there. Anyway, um, that there's some also some interesting flag code violations, and this is all part of the strange and interesting Christian school curriculum that they had in my school from the time I was in first grade until I was in ninth grade. So you would say that there's like a, a big focus on nationalism in your education. Yeah, absolutely. But there were also pretty big doses of sexism, racism, general prudishness, and also some really laughably bad science. Okay, so that's interesting to me because like apart from a few specific teachers that like really wore their beliefs on their sleeves that I had, I never really got the impression that a lot of my teachers were really trying to impart values onto us. You know what I'm saying? Because like a lot of them, you know, it felt like they were just trying to teach the test because that's sort of what was going on around that time. It was all standardized testing. So before we go any further, I want to make the disclaimer that I'm specifically talking about the ACE system, not all Christian schools in general. I know that the experience of somebody who goes to a Christian school can be much, much worse or much better than mine was. And today we are not going to talk at all about Christian school abuse in particular, because we just we don't even have time to cover all of the weirdo issues with ACE today. So this is not going to be a comprehensive podcast. Um, so and we're not going to get into like specifically Christian school abuse because we just don't have time on one episode. There's too much of it. Yeah, there is way too much. So the other thing I wanted to point out is that a huge number of IFB schools do use the ACE system. And it's also incredibly popular with homeschoolers, especially homeschoolers with larger families like the Duggars. Um, but there are plenty of evangelicals who use ACE that are not IFB. And there are plenty of IFB people who don't use it. Now that I said all of that disclaimer material... In my school, we had the opposite thing. Rather than teaching to the test, it was values first and education second. See, that's what I don't understand, though, is that how do you teach somebody values without the facts to back it up? Because like in my view, the way education should work is that you present the information to the students and then you let them use their brains and their critical thinking to make the connections themselves. They, they get to draw the conclusions. And then... You make them think critically about the conclusions they drew, and then you question them, and then you refine them. You're like, okay, well, does this make sense? You challenge the like, you if they draw a conclusion, then you you know you challenge that conclusion. You say, does it hold up? And then you know do that and that and that and that and that again, and then that's where you get your values from. But like, I don't get how you can just feed somebody values and say this value is good and not like do anything to back it up. So ACE teaches the values in, in great depth, like, like very, very literally, like this is what character 
looks like. You should have good character. This is the definition of integrity. You should have integrity. This is what truthfulness is. You should be truthful. This is what obedience is. You should be obedient. So they- Okay, so just clarification. So what does ACE stand for? Oh, okay. Uh, ACE is Accelerated Christian Education. And so it's like heavily like rote memorization, like names, dates, places, that sort of thing. Just like um, knowing facts. More or less, yeah. So I'm going to back up and tell you a little bit about the company that produces the curriculum, if that's okay. Because yeah, that'll inform it. you about how it works. Okay. So the company is a family company. It was started by a husband and wife, Donald and Esther Howard, in the 1970s. And they thought that they had come up with like a new futuristic way to teach children, like a completely new kind of school. And they called it the school of tomorrow. So from what they called themselves, they did set out to make a Christian education curriculum, but they also really thought that they had come up with something more efficient and more effective than other ways of teaching children. With ACE, there are no classrooms divided by age. So everyone sits in one classroom together uh, and work in silence. There's not a teacher standing at the front of the room telling you the information. Instead, children are given PACES, which is P-A-C-E, Packet of Accelerated Christian Education. And then they work through those packets individually. So it's just like doing worksheets and turning them in? More or less, yeah. So you get this little booklet, and it looks like somebody online said it looks like the IRS tax booklet. Like if you ever have to fill out something that's not like a 1040 easy, you have to fill out actual taxes. Um, you get like a booklet that tells you how to do it. It kind of They kind of look like that. They're like newsprint, very thin paper. Um, and it's uh, if you're a little kid, it might be 24 pages longer. If you're in high school, it might be 60 or 80 pages in this booklet. So you read a few pages of content about how to do the thing uh, or the history lesson or the science lesson or whatever. And then you do a few pages of like fill in the blank questions about that content. Uh, if you're lucky, maybe you get an acrostic activity or like a matching question section instead of just fill in the blank. Oh, that's okay. Like, I, you know what? I, I had I would have like one horrified. or two. Yeah, no. So like I would have maybe like one or two classes, like if I had a teacher that really didn't give a shit, like that's what the class would like if they if they did not give a about us, like that's what the class would be like. Yeah, I volunteered in a school where where the history teacher was like that and just did not care and just gave kids worksheets. Um, but that was fun because the teacher didn't care. Uh, so I got to teach a class in public school because I was like, hey, um, I'm here. I'm a volunteer tutor, but I can just take your class for you. And the teacher was like, I don't care. So I got to take oh, over wow. her class for a sem half a semester. That was fun. That was was that in Chicago? Yeah, that was uh, Hammond. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's that, I feel horrible for those kids. I Not mean, that they had you as a teacher, <laughs> but like uh, to have a teacher that's that checked out. So like but you never had to write a history report. I want to I want to wind back okay. real quick. So you, you never had to write a, a history report. So sometimes you were just doing worksheets. Yeah, sometimes the books will ask you to write papers or you'll have more often you'll have essay questions that you have to fill out. So you do have to do a little bit of report writing type activity, but 95% of the time uh, you're sitting in your little cubicle uh, and you're just you in cubicles. Yeah. Oh, you don't know about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> so each student, 
I forget. Well, I forget that these that this is not normal to you. No, you didn't have like because you you wouldn't have like a desk like what we would have. You know, maybe sometimes there would be like okay, a bunch of desks in like rows and stuff. And then you would be sitting with your your friends and you'd like poke each other in the back as ever. Sometimes you'd be at like a table where there'd be like four people at a table and you'd want to be at a table with your homies. So what they have in ACE is you have cubicles, like literal, exactly what you might see. you're completely isolated from everyone else. Yes, exactly what you might see, like oh. in a very depressing office in a movie. And you sit in your cubicle with your divider. So it's called a divider. Oh, man, the terminology is coming back. I'm having a flashback. Um, so, you, so there's like dividers between you and the, and the student next to you. And then uh, you have your own little desk and you have, you know, your your tissues and then your pens and your pencils. And you sit in your cubicle and you do your worksheets. Oh, that's horrifying. What, like, I mean, what do you even have teachers for? So, okay, so you don't have teachers. You have monitors and you have supervisors. So the people who founded ACE, in case this isn't clear, they believed that the future leaders of the world would be office workers. So they created a system that treats children like tiny little office workers. And it teaches compliance and conformity above all else. So it prepares children perfectly to grow up and take on careers in menial office jobs. That's horrifying. So, oh. so I loved, so I have to make a disclaimer. I loved this as a kid because I was extremely introverted and I also got picked on a fair bit at school. So I could be in my cubicle, in my desk, in my office and just like zone out and do my work. And I was really good. It's like, I was naturally good at reading comprehension, which is pretty much the only thing that's ever tested in the ACE system. Like creativity doesn't mean anything, but reading comprehension is everything. And that's what I'm naturally good at. So I loved going to school with ACE because I didn't have to talk to anybody or engage with anybody anyway. But, uh, but it is absolutely horrifying <laughs> for people who don't have the same specific type of brain function that I do. You just, you just wouldn't have teachers. Okay. So you need teachers, like you, these monitors and supervisors, they have to be there to give you permission to like get up and go to the bathroom or check your answers. Okay. So to me, that that's bonkers. Okay. Let, so let me tell you. So I went to neighborhood public schools and they were like, Portland public schools was chronically underfunded, but the schools themselves, like I felt like were good. And so like my, so my brother was three years ahead of me. And so it was like, so we knew which teachers had a reputation for putting a lot of creativity and a lot of fun projects into the class. Like, you know, because my brother had been to the same school as I had like th uh, a few years earlier. And so like, we, we knew who, like, which teacher, like for my third grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Brame, my brother had her class, you know, like a few years before I did. So like, we knew that she was really good and my mom and dad knew that she was a good teacher and like they so like they knew what to expect and they're like oh well, uh this week we're uh, when are you going to do like the egg drop because you'd have like an egg drop every year that you get to do and that was like a fun project that you get to um and like the the potato uh car race which was also fun um I like I knew which teachers my brother had had like and when I got into high school I knew which teachers my brother had had and he'd been like oh take you want to take 
history from Mr. Licky because he's like really good. So I'd be like, okay, sign up for AP history. Um, you know, it'd be like, you want to take uh, English from this teacher. You want to take math from this teacher. And I didn't always get to choose, but like when I get my schedule, I'd be like, is this person good? Is this person good? He'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause like if you're a teacher and a good teacher, if they're really passionate about the subject, it can make all of the difference in the world between somebody getting like a good, like an adequate education and somebody getting a really great education. So when I was, so I was say I'm two years ahead of one brother and four years ahead of the other brother. So when we were in school, we were all in the same room. Like we were all in the same classroom, but in our own little cubicles. Uh, so if we had a, a teacher that we didn't like very much, it was all three of us <laughs> suffering through the same teacher that none of us liked very much. Not going to name names. Uh, not going to do it. No. <laughs> but no, there aren't. If you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> if they're listening, they know who they are. Anyway, uh, you sit in a silent room with other children in cubicles. So you have like your school supplies and you have a star chart, which shows how many pace booklets you've gotten through that year. And then you have a goal chart. So you come in every Monday and you set your goals. Okay, so on Monday in my English pace, I'm going to do pages one through six. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to do pages six through 10. On Wednesday, I'm going to do pages 11 through 14. And like you you set out your page goals for per day. And you've uh. got, you're required to do, you know, 30 pages a week or whatever, uh, whatever your requirement is. So and then you but have that little get, chart. You get through more than that. Um, depends on it. Totally depends on the subject. Like the math paces can be a real slog. It can be very oh, difficult to get through because nobody's teaching you. Like with math, you read how. I mean, can you imagine being in sixth grade and doing pre-algebra? Yeah, I mean, read, I was doing pre-algebra. Yeah. It's not like so instead of having anybody at all to help you, you read through a how to and then you have to just do it. Mm. And like it, you, you know, you have the the monitor, or the supervisor there, and maybe one of those two people is good at math and can help you. Uh, or maybe they just mess you up worse. Because they don't know what they're doing either. Right. Well, I'm going to get to I that. Mean, if you asked me now, like if I had a kid now and my kid was like, hey, dad do you want to help me with this algebra? I'll be like, no, ask your mom. Yeah. And I'll be like, ask your mom because hopefully uh, I guess I'll so you're get married imagining. to somebody who's better at math than I am. I mean, you can also, you're welcome to have your future kids like FaceTime me or whatever, because, okay. because like I'm mathy okay. and I'm going to college for math for things on purpose. Um. So anyway, yeah. So you read like a few pages of, the material and you answer the questions and then every few pages in your booklet, you, you come to a, a scoring thing. Um, and it's called, there's a specific word for it and I can't remember what it is and I'm, we're going to get emails, uh, but you have to get up and check your answers in order to progress to the next page. So how you do that, you have two tiny flags in a special little holder in your desk. You know, you've seen those like flag holders that they put in front of like diplomats chairs yeah. You know, so it'll have like an American flag and a Brazilian flag or whatever. Uh, so you have the American flag and the Christian flag and that little tiny flag holder, like the little like three by five size flags. And you have a little tiny hole drilled in the top of one of the dividers of your cubicle. So if you need to get up to score to check your work, you take the American flag out of that holder and you put it in the hole drilled in the top of your cubicle divider. 
And then eventually the monitor comes by and you can ask their permission to get up and check your answers. So you teach yourself and then you also grade yourself. So when you finally get permission to stand up and check, you get the answer key for the packet that you're working on out of a special filing cabinet, which is another way that they condition you to be ready to work in an office because you use filing cabinets all day. And then you go stand at the score table. There's a special table where you check your work. And then you use a red pen at the score table to mark what you got correct and what you didn't get correct. And then you put the answer key back in the filing cabinet and you go back to your desk to fix whatever you got wrong. And then you either uh, cheat and take the red pen back to your desk so that you can, you know, mark things wrong and then mark them right again. Uh, Or try to sneak the score, the answer key back to your desk. Or if you're an honest student like I was, you just repeat that process as many times as needed until you get all every last answer correct. That's pathetic. I mean, it's rough. Pathetic excuse for education. It's like, okay, so what if you, you know, what if you, what do they have you do when you're all, (laughs) you know, yeah. what, What if, what do they have you do when you're all done though? Well, okay, so you have four or five pages in each booklet to do every day, and you have math, English, science, social studies, word building. If you're in elementary school, they call spelling word building. Uh, And then you have some elective of some kind. So if you're in elementary, you might be taking literature or Bible. If you're in high school, you might be taking Spanish, uh, whatever elective you have. But, like, if you're smart, like, like that couldn't possibly take you six hours to get through all of that, seven hours to get through all of that. Well, that's where the magic of bureaucracy comes in. Oh, God. So they are conditioning you not just to accept being an office worker, but to accept bureaucracy. Let me tell you how. So you have to wait until the monitor comes by to answer your flag in order to get up and score. We talked about that, right? Yeah. So once you've worked to the point where you're waiting on the monitor to come by, you can either sit and stare at a wall while you wait, or you can multitask and switch to another pace. Like I had, when I used to do this, I had an entire system for like what I would start with and then how I would work through, how I would multitask through my day. But if you're not an eight-year-old who can figure out multitasking, then you're not going to be, then you're going to sit and stare at a wall while you wait for a, excuse me, while you wait for a monitor to come by. Because most eight-year-olds are not d- equipped mentally to figure out how to multitask. Okay. Whew. Okay. So if the monitor is really slow or if the monitor is incompetent, uh, these are often just volunteers from the church who have absolutely zero educational experience. So the monitor could be like your classmate's mom who is totally there to help and, you know, might just take a minute to get to you because they're doing something, she's doing something else. Or the monitor could be an 85 year old man from your church who has to like shuffle between the desks very slowly. Um, so you can end up working to the point where you need to score in each pace. And then you would just have to sit there until the monitor comes by. And it's totally possible that the monitor may just be out of the room for an hour because they went to staff meeting uh, or they went to steal candy bars out of the school lunchroom, which is not a true story at all. Why do you ask? So you can't take more than one pace up to score at the same time. So when the monitor finally comes by to let you score, 
you know, maybe your flag's been up for five minutes or maybe it's been up for an hour. Even if you're ready to score in two or three different paces, you can only go score one of them. And heaven help you if you got one question wrong because you can't progress with the rest of your work for the day until you put the score key back away, put the red pin down on the score table, go back to your desk, fix your work, wait to get an answer from the monitor again, go back to the score table, take the score key out of the filing cabinet, check your work, get the right answer, circle it with the red pen, put the score key back in the score cabinet, and go back to your desk to to start on your next thing. Which, of course, if it's you, you've already done it. But like... <laughs> this I mean, this just like seems like it's like, designed to be as inefficient and take as much time as possible. Like, I mean, that's exactly oh what it is. God. They literally do it that on purpose because they're training little office workers. But the thing is that like there are nine year olds who can handle this. Like me, like I was a weird oh, man. If you'd have put me in that, oh man, they'd have, have thought the devil was inside of me. Well, they do. Like they do. And if you don't behave, like. Most ACE schools do have corporal punishment. So your parents would have been coming in to to beat you with a paddle. Like beat, beat, not spank, like beat. Ugh. So like I did great. I, I thrived in the system because I was an introverted nine-year-old with a lot of like foresight and planning skills and reading comprehension. Like that's what I was good at. But if you're a child who's like who is excels in creativity or if you're a child who excels in athletics uh, or literally anything else other than being a weirdo like me who actually loved the system, you're miserable. You're just like so miserable and depressed. This is a funny story from um, from my youth. Uh, this, this is a true oh, story. Fun. So, uh, yeah. So uh, when I was uh, a kid, um, I want to say I was in kindergarten. Um and we, uh, so this was towards the end of the school year. Um, and you know, if, if, if you knew my parents are listening, if my parents are listening to this, they know I was, uh, uh, how you would say rambunctious, uh, as a child. And I had this, uh, my kindergarten teacher, um, so, so some, some background information, this was towards the end of the school year. So I think this was like either May or June. Anyway, it was during the NBA playoffs. Um, and the Portland trailblazers happened to have, I think it was during like a game seven. So the trailblazers were in the playoffs and this was like a, a, a really like a, a, you know, a game that they got to win to, to move on. So everybody in the entire city of Portland was watching this basketball game. Everybody in the city of Portland, except for my kindergarten teacher who took this opportunity to call my parents and say, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Um, your son is just not behaving. He won't sit still. He won't, uh, he won't do this. He won't do that. Um, and like, she's trying to talk to my dad about this and like, you know, the shot clots winding down, you know, oh, they're, man. they're, they're shooting. My dad's like, you know, what's wrong with my son? And then she's like, what? And he's like, he's got a six-year-old boy's brain trapped inside a six-year-old boy's body. And then he hangs up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And I think that's, yeah, that's I mean, it's, it's true. <laughs> But like, can you, but can you imagine baby you being in a school like this? Oh my God. I, I, oh, that's, it's. 
But, it's making my 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 blood boil thinking about I like I hear so, the anxiety in your voice. Like even yeah, the thought oh. of like even though it couldn't possibly happen now cuz you're an adult. Like I can literally hear yeah. the anxiety of like thinking what it would be like yeah, for you to be a kid oh. in this system. Yeah, granted before COVID I had a job where I just sat at a desk and did paperwork all day. Okay, no, you sat at the desk and watched Simpsons all day. <laughs> I, I I sat at the desk and watched uh, TV on my phone you all day while I did done. while I did pa- I did all the paperwork, but I, I watched TV on my phone all day while doing paperwork. Um, and then COVID ended. Uh, well, I, know, I mean, COVID well, ended that anyway. Um, I know you got I the paperwork done because I had to to do things with the paperwork after you got done doing it. It's yeah. true. Um, oh, yeah, we were so su- like, we were such like responsible adults before COVID. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I I showed up every day and did boring work, but mm-hmm. I watched all the Avengers movies. Um yeah, so I anyway, I think that so I want to move on cuz like I think that you're a person. I mean, I've said this before. I think that you're a person, you know, who's pretty smart and I'm like I'm not going to go around and say like that say, use terms like above average intelligence because I think that idea is frankly kind of bullshit. And I think that different people's brains are just wired for different things, but I think that generally you are a smart person who uh, thinks about things methodically and with good reasoning. You have uh, good critical thinking skills. Um, And like, so I can imagine that this can't at all have been intellectually stimulating. Like, I quite honestly do not know how you got to where you are now because your education did not let you practice those critical thinking skills. So like, how did you get here? So I would finish my paces for the day usually at least an hour before the end of school. So because because I was able to figure out that multitasking pretty early. So I would be allowed to get a book from the school library and sit and read or sit in my desk or write stories or draw pictures. So I read through most of the school library. uh, And when I was done with that, I started reading the dictionary uh, and the encyclopedia. So a lot of my education came from just reading the encyclopedia. So I guess it would be fair to say that you had encyclopedic knowledge. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I would write research papers out of what I read in the encyclopedia, like for fun. Okay, but this is, this would be the same encyclopedia, though, that have the entire page for E removed because it had evolution on it. So I cannot remember specifically what was removed. Like, I really think reproduction was cut out, but it's hard for me to remember, like, what other specific things had been deemed wor- worthy of censorship. Like, I know there were there were parts of the encyclopedia that somebody had taken a black Sharpie to. And I know that there are parts that were completely cut out. And I know there was at least a couple volumes that were completely missing. But like, so, so I don't know exactly what was cut out. But yes, this is the, the same mythical encyclopedia that had things cut out of it. Yeah. So I like, I guess that your education, like, I, I can only think that it would have just had to uh, continue at home because, you know, you, you always say that your dad's really smart. Your mom's got a master's degree. Well, my mom has a master's um, degree now. Actually, she's about to graduate. So congratulations to my mom. Um, Oh, yeah, my hero. But my mom did tutor me a lot at home. So she would expand on what I learned at school or she'd help me do my homework once I got home. And then my dad taught me a ton about history, about religious history, other religions. My dad taught me Latin, Greek, and a little bit of Spanish. 
Um, and then he even taught me basic algebra before I got there in school. So it's because of my parents and it's because of self-education that I turned out remotely sort of well-rounded. Yeah, it's good that you had that motivation. Yeah. And I think part of testing well is being able to remember facts and dates and figures. So I always made excellent grades in ACE school because that's something that I'm naturally inclined to. And I agree with what you said about like, a don't, we don't want to say above average intelligence. I am, I'm good at, I'm a verbal learner and I'm good at answering questions correctly. That doesn't mean that I am smarter than somebody who has mechanical knowledge or a different, you know, people smarts or there's all different ways to be intelligent. But the one that I am is book smart. So I did not mind rote memorization because I could just do it, finish my work early in the day and then do something I actually cared about, like reading. So I think it's fortunate that your education was able to continue at home because otherwise I would just be like, you know, you must be like a prodigy (laughs) (laughs) something. No, you're just like a normal person who had parents who, who cared about whether or not you were smart and thought about things. Yeah. And if, if like, I mean, I have seen ACE turn out students who are nearly illiterate. Oh. Because and think about it, though. If you can't read, how are you going to do well at ACE school? So you have to know how to read already. You have to know how to but read. But who's from- going to teach you? I mean, so they have a preschool program where they there's actually a teacher and they teach you how to read. But if you're, but most children don't learn how to read by the time, like fully understand reading by the time they're in first grade. That's a ridiculous mm-hmm. expectation. No, like, I mean, it was, it's like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. That's when you really want to get people to like. So ACE, those, yeah, ACE oh. assumes that you know how to, that you are literate by grade one, which is crazy. No. Anyway. Yeah. So we, so we talked about the, So anyway, if you don't read well by first or second grade, like I, there were students who came into my school growing up who were in third grade and who struggled with reading and they were incapable of doing the work. I mean, that's not a, an un, an abnormal thing for somebody to be in third grade and still like struggling with reading. That's like within the normal, like that might be a little bit slow, but that's like not, you know, you, like, you get them a tutor and you can get that fixed. Right. Like kids have things Eventually, that yeah. they're not great at. Every kid has something that's a stumbling block that takes them longer than it should. You know, they could have had dyslexia or something, you know, that'd right. be, that'd make everything really tough. Right. So like, so if you have that and if you're able to cheat your way through, uh, and you don't mind doing a little cheating, or if you're able to just kind of fake it, you can graduate from ACE and be functionally illiterate. <sighs> so anyway, we talked about the cubicles. We talked about the American flag. Um, let's do, let's go a little bit more into like what's actually in these packets because this is this is the fun part. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Gavriel here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. Okay, so there's one other like total weirdo thing that you need to know about these packets before we even get into like actual school st- subjects. Okay. So I'm I'm. <sighs> I'm not sure I want to hear about this. This is fun. This part oh, this part is this... funny. So so Paces want to teach the student, I think, 90 individual character traits. Uh, so they will drill your, these traits into your head from first grade until high school graduation. So each Pace will have a theme, like uh, determination or obedience or joyfulness. And there will be a corresponding Bible verse that you have to memorize as you do the pace. So like for obedience, I think it's obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must, as they that must do it with joy and not with grief. I messed up the last part anyway. So they're like a corresponding verse that you have to memorize as you do the pace. And then these like 90 concepts and I think 60 to 90 verses, they cycle through every single packet that you do. So you do 12 paces per year per subject for the entirety of your education. And these like concepts, you have to memorize the same verses like over and over and over again. And that's why I can still quote about half of them. There's there's no way that's ever leaving my head. So what better way to drill these concepts and these character traits than to create a cast of cartoon characters? So there's a group of fictional students that are the same age as the the human student from preschool all the way up through graduation. So there's there's these like recurrent cartoons and it's like the kid in the cartoons is always your age. Does that make sense? Yeah. So these cartoon characters have some absolutely bonkers names. <laughs> so I had to introduce them to you. Like uh IP freely. No, thank you, Bart Simpson. No. So, or uh, Seymour Butts. No. So you have Ace Virtuson. Uh, he's the, the hero of our stories. He Who names their kid Ace. Well, it's the Ace. Like, are you tr- are you are you trying to like get your kid to be in like the Top Gun or Ace Virtuson is basically the hero of our stories. Um, he knows what's right. He always does it. There may be one storyline where he like litters or tells a white lie or something to like make him seem more real or whatever. And then there's Christy Lovejoy. So if Ace is our Harry Potter character, Christy is like Hermione. And then there's the character Racer Loyalton. 
uh, who is like their racer loyalton. Racer loyalton, who is their Ron. So we have other characters. So we have Hapford Humble, who is absolutely the Neville of this situation. <laughs> Wait, so you mean he is significantly more handsome than everybody else, and like? <laughs> kicks ass um no no like like book one and two neville oh yeah oh yeah uh. so and then we have like <laughs> reginald upright Susie mcmercy reginald upright yeah that sounds a little odd reginald reginald upright that sounds like a porno name if i'd ever heard one uh yeah and then we have Susie mcmercy and then um pudge pudge Mikaway. Uh, he's the token chubby kid and his nickname, which even his mother calls him is Pudge. Uh, so we have great, like lovely fat shaming, just hanging out in this school curriculum right off the top. In this community where people eat cheeseburger soup (laughs) and mayonnaise casserole and- And Pudge is the only one who's overweight and they literally portray him like getting bullied for it in the books. So that's not triggering at all to- children who are not thin who go through this curriculum totally yeah totally doesn't cause problems anyway uh all these characters go to a church in a christian school called highland so it's like highland something church highland christian school and they're all conspicuously very white which is because all of the black characters go to a different church in a christian school on the other side of town Oh, so it's very segregated. Yeah. We have apartheid here is what's going on. It is actually literally demonstrating apartheid, uh, separate but equal stuff. Like their church and school are called mm-hmm. Harmony. Uh, apparently, since I have graduated and, and not do, done ACE anymore, they have also added a third church and school called Hartsville, uh, where students go that I can only describe as other students. Um like Tian Lee Joy Song, who is a, an Asian student, and Nita Faithful, who is ambiguously brown. So, okay. yeah. So these these comics very literally and very blatantly demonstrate apartheid, which is just great. Uh, and then they also support, of course, extremely rigid gender roles, which I'm sure does not surprise you at this point. No, I was just these weird little details are just so interesting to me okay are you being sarcastic am i getting boring no like it is interesting because like so there's all these people who i could only think like you know they could have been really really good at something you know they're like say they're like a really good cartoon they're like i'm really good at art i really believe in like being a cartoon artist but the only way that they could focus their creative energies was like to do so through promoting these like bizarre right-wing religious doctrines to children making this propaganda like you, you could have made like another calvin and Hobbes, but instead you made this okay <laughs> that's 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 legit um yeah so i mean it's just fascinating i mean it kind of is and uh i, I am gonna post on the instagram i have a picture of me at ace headquarters um which i think is gonna be fun um but back to the, the feminist issues. Uh, women are portrayed as homemakers only. Maybe, well, Christy's mother is a Christian school teacher because her husband gives her permission to oh, do wow, it. Oh, liberated woman. Yes. Uh, so there are so many comic strips that I could reference about this, but I don't have time. So I'm going to tell you about just one. 
Okay. So in this comic strip, a little girl, like eight or ten maybe, is standing in front of a mirror and she's trying on dresses. And one of them is too short because you can see her kneecap. So she says to herself, no, no. And in the next frame, she is shown wearing a longer dress and the caption that she's saying to herself is, I must look right always. And that's the strip. Oh, yeah. So these aren't. There's no joke. No, these aren't comic strips like you think of them. They're, they're rarely meant to be funny, and they're even more rarely actually funny. Um, they're usually aimed at making an example of good or bad behavior. So they're like they left moralistic in the dust like ages. They're, they're so far beyond moralistic. Okay, so I have now uh, – you've sent this strip to me. I've looked at this strip. Um, and this one is really creepy to me because, I mean, you said that the girl is like 8 or 10 – to me, she looks like she's like six or seven. And so for like for me, re- like obsessing over modesty with young children is to me, it's really creepy because it has the side effect of sexualizing them. So like I hear conservative Christians talking like constantly. I- Islam is rep- repressive to women because it makes them wear the hijab. And, you know, they're saying, oh, Islam is predatory to young girls. But like. And, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I'm not an expert on this, but I think that Muslim girls, right, they're only supposed to wear the hijab when they start puberty, right? Is that right? I don't know. To yes, when you start like okay, that makes sense. But like this, like six or seven, that's way, 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 way creepier. So hijabis that I have met and stories that I've read online as well. Uh, the consensus is that it's usually between like 11 and 13 when people do start wearing the hijab. And the person that I've talked to the most about this said that her family actually did not make her do that. But she was about 13 and she felt like that was a decision that she wanted to make to wear hijab. This is like for Jewish people, like bar bat mitzvah age. Yeah. Where you decide, okay, I want to be I, like, this is the choice I want to make for my life. Right. And like, of course, yeah. there are some families who force their daughters to do that. And I don't support that any more than I support, you know, families who force their daughters into IFB dress code restrictions. But I don't have an issue, you know, like somebody like my friend who is like, oh, you know, I'm coming into young womanhood and this is something I want to do. It just seems, it seems like especially hypocritical to me that, that, that Christians like, I mean, they have uh, so like a hate bone for Islam and then they're, I mean, doing this i mean christians also criticize muslims for their modesty ideas while uh, perpetrating that on their children but they also criticize muslims for underage marriage fairly often but they also support underage marriage often so you're no you're not wrong about that so and this is like a, a content warning brief mention of childhood sexual assault it is so prevalent in the IFB and in other strict evangelical Christian groups that children are sexualized from like basically the time they can walk. So it's a chicken and an egg situation, right? Because it's hard to know whether they are these children being asked to cover up because they are sexualized so young or are they sexualized so young because modesty is impressed on them when they're a toddler like which it's hard to know like what started what but the bottom line is that this is a thing and that young girls are sexualized from a very young age and that it is creepy and predatory and gross anyway 
that's a very typical content of these comic strips. Like obedience to authority and submission are huge themes. And then also themes like lying or cheating or whatever. And I'd say that maybe 80% of these comics are moralistic, like the one I showed you. Maybe 10% exist to advance the plot. And maybe 10% are attempting to be funny. Ugh. Mm. So, okay, so how about this? How about uh, we bring up a topic like like English or science and then we compare and contrast and see like how you were taught by ACE and then how I was taught by the free education that was provided to me by the constantly cash-strapped district of Portland Public Schools. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Yeah, that, that sounds like a breath of fresh air because I this. So, uh, so I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we weren't going to actually get into like abusive Christian schools. We're just talking about the curriculum. We're just saying that we're, we're acknowledging that it exists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I thought we should talk about maybe is science, because that's usually the first thing that's brought up when people make criticisms of the ACE system. Okay, so great. Let's do science. So what do we want to do? Um, are we going to do chemistry, physics? Are we going to do biology? Okay, well, what I had a major science fact to drop on you that you probably don't know. This is a, a fact that is taught in ACE, and I believe it's from the biology paces. Okay, great. Let's do biology. I should let you know. I think I did. I got like a B plus in biology. That was my freshman year of high school. Um and I should do well in that because my dad was a physician for 30 years, so he could always help me with my homework. Okay, so so did you know, Gabrielle, did you know? Tell me. That the Loch Ness Monster is real and is one potential proof of creationism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, spe- I'm, I'm speechless. I'm... <laughs> you know, people are starting to imitate you by going like. <laughs> it's like when people imitate Kimi Raikkonen, they're like, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. <laughs> I, okay, I, 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 okay, I mean, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to respond. Okay, look. <laughs> So we, when you okay, so when you said we were going to do biology, I thought like I don't, I, I I don't know what I thought. I I but it wasn't like I it certainly wasn't this. I mean like I know enough about this cult. No, like now to know that you're not even joking a little bit. That this is no. like a hundred percent. That you that you were taught this. I was literally taught this. Um, I'm going to link Dear an God article. So I actually have proof for this one uh, because I don't expect you to just take my memory for granted. Uh, there is a Washington Post article about ACE schools uh, that I will link for you that quotes the biology pace that says this thing. Please let me read this. This is Well, I can read you the quote from the pace yeah, that is re- quoted in the me, article. Okay. So here's the quote. Are dinosaurs alive today? Scientists are becoming more convinced of their existence. Have you heard of the Loch Ness monster in Scotland? Nessie, for short, has been recorded on sonar from a small submarine, described by eyewitnesses and photographed by others. Nessie, 
appears to be a plesiosaur. So not only does this article claim that the monster is real, but it says that it is a living dinosaur. Yes. That survived the asteroid for the asteroid 35, 60, a, 50 asteroids. million years. No, that's oh, not. Oh, right, because young, young Earth creation, it died. No, uh, that's not a thing. Um, so I had to totally guess on how to say that dinosaur name, by the way, because I don't know anything about this. Um, Plesiosaur. That looks Plesiosaur. right for how it's spelled. Yeah. But no. So here's what happened. Um, Noah took two of every kind of animal onto the ark, uh, and that includes dinosaurs. But after the great flood, when the animals came off the ark... The dinosaurs didn't have enough food to eat because all the vegetation was destroyed in the flood. So most of the dinosaurs died, but some of them survived, like Komodo dragons and also Nessie. But this doesn't even make sense, though, because dinosaurs had feathers. I'm sorry. They had what now? You didn't know that? So, okay. So no, what the dinosaurs have, like, yeah, dinosaurs have, like, they found fossilized dinosaurs that were like, like, fully like a, a, a fossilized like an arm of a dinosaur it was like encased in in amber or something like that um that have fe- like they've found the the pieces of the dinosaurs that legit have feathers in, or they've also found like the bones of the dinosaurs that have like little indentations of them like you would like a bird would have because they would have the feathers and the the feathers the end of the feathers go and like scrape into the bone no, yeah. anyway where were we Oh, we were talking about my science books being like equal parts religion and science, if you're willing to use the term and science. Not science, like <laughs> fantasy. Like, it's like science is in like a Michael Bay if movie. If you're willing science. to like really bastardize the term science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, there's a, there's one other quote that I wanted to read for you to back up my assertion about the science books being half religion and half pseudoscience okay uh here's the the other quote when god created the world he designed a homogeneous environment that contained air water and land he then created organisms protists plants animals and humans to inhabit the homogeneous environment the bible tells us that god looked at all he had made and it was good so like i want to back up a little bit uh did, like, did they teach you about cells and cell division? Like, did they have you look at like a leaf under a microscope and then draw a picture of what you saw, like the nucleus and like the cell walls and stuff? I mean, they had illustrations of that kind of thing. Like, we did learn about cells. Uh, You'd never like look at it and be like, oh, that's what it looks like up close. Uh, did your school have a microscope? My school had a microscope, but it was like one step up from a toy. So I don't think you could see cells under it. I could see I got to look at like an eyelash under it one time, mm. but I got to use the microscope like twice. And I don't think it was good enough to actually see cells. But so they did tell us like they taught us that in the science books. They had pictures of it, but it was all from the viewpoint of God made this. So here's mm. here's the example. If your school test looks like question one, the blank is the powerhouse of the cell. Oh, I know this one. It's mitochondria. Good job. But my test would look like question one, blank. God made the blank to be the powerhouse of the cell. So it puts it in passive voice so that it can put God in front of it. And like every question is going to reference God like that. 
Uh, just while we're in science, because I know we're probably about to move on from here, the te- the science textbook did refer to the Endangered Species Act as a quote radical social agenda. So just while we're on science, I thought that would be a fun little but like. So like in in your chemistry class, like did they give you two compounds and then have you mix them together and then like heat it over a Bunsen burner and predict what like what would come out of it? Uh, like, did you do like single displacements, double displacements? So my school moved on to a different curriculum, and I don't think I took ACE chemistry. I think I took it under the new curriculum. But there weren't labs in ACE because these schools aren't equipped for that. So I would guess that the textbook just had you read a few pages about somebody else doing that experiment. So when I did chemistry under the new curriculum that we switched to, I got to watch videos of other people doing lab stuff and then answer questions about it. But you never got to do it yourself. No, I never did. So you should imagine, Bummer. like, I went to a one-room schoolhouse. So, like, I yeah, I had we had a microscope that was, like, not a toy, but that's about it. But we had no science equipment and no science budget. So when I did biology dissections, that was on video, too. That's depressing. I mean, I, I loved it because I didn't want to dissect anything. I was... But chemistry, but chemistry is, like, a really fun subject oh i loved chemistry like like the lady on the video doing the experiments was hilarious uh and then i got really into balancing equations because that's like that's my because you're good at math yeah because i because like i'm mathy and i liked it um okay so before we leave science completely we should probably take a quick detour into human biology uh specifically sex ed or the absolute and complete lack thereof Okay, well, at my school, sex ed was taught by a pedophile who got himself in all of the news because a video leaked of him putting a condom on over his head and then inflating it with his nose until it got really big and he looked like Marge Simpson. And he was apparently trying to teach kids that condoms are one size fits all. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, like, also, like, during sex ed unit, he brought in this pair of, like, tidy whitey underpants. I don't like where this is going. I'll tell you real quick. Okay, okay, so he had a hole cut in the front of them, and they're for wearing during sex. And the idea is that you have a condom on and these uh, underpants with a hole in them, so there is no skin to skin contact, and there is zero risk of STDs. That is so strange. That is so weird. Okay, what do you? Yeah. Okay, let me, let's <laughs> let's pull this back to reality. With what do you think is worse, that or having human reproduction taught exactly once in school using very very veiled terminology, and like having the focus of the, of the entire material being that sex is for marriage and babies, and that STDs will kill you, and that AIDS is absolutely everywhere, and that life begins the moment sperm meets egg. Okay, so I'm going to be totally honest here. Um, I didn't actually take health class in high school because I wanted to take an extra elective class so that I could be in two choirs and theater class my sophomore year. Sounds like you. Um, Yeah. So I took health class online just to have extra room in my schedule to do that. So my friends took health class uh, with – okay, this guy's a a registered sex offender and he's been arrested for this and convicted for this. So I have no problem naming him on this. But his name is Norm Scott. If you look him up, he was was the health teacher at at my high school when I was – there and other people had him apparently he was terribly incompetent and also super creepy um but like i I took it online and as i remember 
uh, my sex ed unit was like very medical. I mean, that's our policy, by the way. If your name has been in the news and it's findable online, we don't care about your anonymity anymore. Yeah, Norm Scott's a pedophile. I don't mind saying that because he's been arrested and convicted for it. But yeah, you're right. Like this stuff should be medical. It should be age appropriate and clinical. But what I got was inexplicably a picture, a graphic of two cartoon chickens with arrows indicating sort of vaguely that sperm came from the boy chicken and the egg came from the girl chicken. And that somehow made a baby chicken. But that doesn't surprise me at all. So for some reason, this is also in the human reproduction section. So you learn like you learn some proper terminology, like you learn sperm and egg and uterus and zygote, but no words like you don't learn any words for like external body parts, no consent education, nothing like that, like the things that should be taught in these classes. The ACE people, they just cannot bear to talk about nasty human sex. So if you want to dig super deep into this, what you want to Google is biology pace 1107-1107. And you can find some scans of the pages from that pace if you look hard enough. Um, But to sum it up for you, the way they phrase stuff is just ridiculous. Uh, The sex chapter is like two paragraphs of technically correct but very vague information And then it's like pages and pages and pages about how life begins at conception, abortion is murder, STDs kill you, AIDS is everywhere, and a a bunch of condemnation of gay people, which I was going to quote on here. And then I realized that that is just unnecessary and nobody needs to hear that. We got the picture. Yeah. So, okay. So it seems bonkers to me that something like 30 because like something like 30 percent of pregnancies end in a miscarriage before a woman actually even knows she's pregnant right, right. so like a ke- yeah, yeah so that's called chemical pregnancy so fertilization occurs but implantation doesn't um and and you're right on the money with like what i wonder about that is like why would god give that baby a soul when he already knew that they would never become a, a person like i can handle people who think that a fetus is a human life like a, 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 a implanted healthy fetus that is growing and going to become a person. Like, I feel like if that's somebody's opinion, that's something that I can lodge. I can work within those logical boundaries and talk to somebody. I cannot deal with people who believe that life begins before implantation because it's just not logical. Okay. Do you know, okay. Do you know what Jewish law says about this? Oh, please tell us. Because people are always like, oh, we live in a Judeo-Christian, blah, 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 blah. Like, we, we, we like the Bible says X, the Bible, no, like, because Jewish law says that prior to 40 days, a fetus is considered to be nothing more than water. So all of these people who are like, oh, well, it says in the, like, no, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about abortion some other time and, and this whole right to life or nonsense um, is going to have its own episode. I feel like we're um, going to do it soon. I kind of want to do it. We'll do it next I, year. Well, like, yeah, I kind of want to do that episode while I'm still pregnant. Like, I just yeah. feel like, I don't know. Like, Well, we, we, we touched on a little bit in Lauren Hill. Yeah, that's true. It's just like having a newborn. I feel like maybe that would make my emotions too crazy. Anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So do you feel like you have a pretty good handle on the science curriculum? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's science with air quotes around it. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So let's move on to English or or like literature. Um, 
I guess literature is better because I don't care about them teaching you to diagram sentences. And we know that people can get through the system while being functionally illiterate. But uh, like, what yeah. were they having you read? So the English curriculum, you're right. It's fine. It's fine. The sentences that you diagram might be Bible verses or they might be sentences that enforce patriarchal gender roles. But like they teach the parts of speech adequately, assuming that you can actually read and aren't just faking your way through. Uh, the literature curriculum, on the other hand, I have some things to say about. So for literature, like you read a book and then you answer questions about it in the pace. And then you write a book report. The issue is uh, some of the books that they choose, like they don't do standard literature classics, like at all. So, okay. So when I was in ninth grade... Um... For, okay, uh, for example, one of the books that my English teacher, Mr. Peterson, uh, he had us read was All Quiet on the Western Front. He was a great teacher. He, he um, I think he was ex-Marine. He was, he was a veteran. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a novel about war. So, you know, he was a great uh, person to teach that. So what were, what were they having you read as like mm -hmm. their literature where they were having you think about a lot of stuff? Okay, so ACE has you read Heidi. And they have you read the Swiss Family Robinson. And I guarantee that those are the only two books that they do that you have ever heard of. The The okay. rest of them are kind of like like very meek, plain Christian fiction. They're just very bland. Like the kind of thing that Focus on the Family might publish. So it's fiction about like missionaries or martyrs or persecuted Christians or whatever. Um, there was one that I really did like. It was about a missionary pilot who was like taking medicine and supplies to this place in the Arctic. And he his plane crashed and he had to survive the winter by himself. So like he had to like trap animals and build himself a shelter and like make it through the winter. Uh, if you're thinking that this sounds like Jack London with a little bit of Jesus, you're absolutely on the right track. It was probably plagiarized from Jack London, now that I think about it. Um, but the, so, like, some of them would be like that, and some of those are actually interesting. And then the other half of the books were biographies of, like, famous famous or influential Christians like Michael Faraday. But they'd never have you, um, like, read something, like, with, like, a really, really strong literary style. Because no. I remember – okay, so 10th grade um, – or was it 11th grade? I can't remember. No, it was 11th grade AP English – um, we were supposed to, uh, pick like a, a great author and read three books by that author. Um, and so everybody in class had to pick somebody different. So I picked Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and, but I had a friend who picked Zora Neale Hurston. Um, and I had a different friend who picked Ken Kesey. So like, but like, I suppose all of the, like all of those authors, like all of their books would be just out because all of the, the subject matter would be objectionable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just read Vonnegut for the first time at the beginning of quarantine. Oh, which book? God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Oh, okay. I didn't read that. It's okay. Good. So I read. I really, I really did enjoy it. I read Slaughterhouse Five. I read Cat's Cradle. I read Mother Night. And then I read Player Piano. And I think most of those books have like really strong anti-war and like anti-militarism themes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, God bless you, Mister Rosewater had like very strong, like redistribution of wealth and like, you know, there's 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 a point of being there's no point in being super super rich. Um, yeah. It was it was like it was talked about about like wealth and wealth inequality. 
But anyway, no. So these books would have to have zero cursing. Like, I mean, like not cursing, cursing, but not even like TV cursing. So no, oh my God, no damn, no hell, nothing. So like no emotional stakes though. I mean, depends on how you define emotional stakes because we're we're talking about cult emotional stakes where the emotional but you stakes can't are have like any characters who like express their emotions like no you outward no you totally can because like what if you're crying and crying because your dad hasn't accepted Jesus yet and you're afraid he's going to go to hell like that's emotional okay, so stakes <laughs> so with, with this standard though you so you can't read any of the class so you can't read Homer's Odyssey. You can't read Dostoevsky. You can't read. Uh, you can't read William Shakespeare. I mean, that's ex- this, like, exactly the point. So they, they they couldn't have you read Romeo and Juliet because another one in ninth grade we read Romeo and Juliet and uh, uh, Mr. Peterson. He was like, you need to write about this topic. Uh, 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 or, or like he gave us like a, a a choice of like five or six topics that we could read about, and one of them was, it was like gender roles. We could write about various other things like there was five topics five overall themes that he wanted us to examine and so we could pick you know so yeah. when we switch curriculums and at some point we're going to do a whole episode about the curriculum that we switched to because it's just as interesting in a different totally different way than the ace curriculum mm-hmm. when we switch curriculums we did have sh- some shakespeare um we read romeo and juliet and macbeth and caesar julius caesar um but okay. they were baldurized so like uh for example like they do with the slave bibles yeah i mean well like 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 bowdler like originally bowdlerized uh the original meaning of that word was when bowdler uh made an edition of shakespeare that was considered appropriate for young women to read like the late 19th early 20th century um but so so for example when lady Macbeth says out damn spot uh, in my english books it was changed to out foul spot stuff like that um, so before we switched curriculums, so in 10th grade, we switched curriculums and we did have like a similar author project to what you were talking about, but there was still a list of approved authors. So it was like, you could do Louisa May Alcott. So who did you do? I did Poe, which is where my lifelong love of, of Edgar Allan Poe. So Poe was an approved author. In the new curriculum, he was in, in ACE, he would not have been, but I like, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. I sincerely love Edgar Allan Poe so much. I'm not even going to start. Um, but if it, if I read it before 10th grade, when we switched curriculums, it was because I fought to read it. Like I checked mm-hmm. out everything at the library. Like I had to fight to get a hold of Shakespeare. Uh, read, read, I read over a summer. I read like a dozen Shakespeare plays and all of the sonnets. Uh, I read 1984. I read Jane Austen. I read. Did you read 1984? I don't know how. I, I think I checked it out at the library. I didn't tell anybody. Is how I got that. <laughs> because I also read. Um, I also read the Da Vinci Code, which I was definitely not supposed to be reading. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely not supposed to get my hands on. <laughs> um. Anyway, and I read. Why it was just that bad? No, Da Vinci Code is, is really dirty. Like the movie is PG thirteen and the book is not. Okay, well I've, I've Da Vinci read it. Code has a lot of like weird sex stuff in it. Um, mm. but anyway, and and it's and it's considered bad. I have like such a, I have like, I have rose colored glasses when it comes to the Da Vinci Code because it was one of the first adult books I like grown up books I read. Anyway, 
when we were in AC. Let you read Twilight? No, I was forbidden <laughs> from reading Twilight. I have still not read Twilight. Um, but when we were still in AC, they said literature, but there was no actual literature. It's just reading. Um, I did want to talk about two specific books that we read in literature because I feel like you're going to have something to say about them. Okay. So the first one is Through Gates of Splendor. And this is a true story about some American missionaries who went to Ecuador to try to reach an isolated tribe and convert them. God, what happened? Uh, they all five got speared to death. Well, you know what they say, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So other than that, <laughs> colonizer glorifying torture porn, and I guarantee I'm going to get at some nasty tweets about calling through Gates of Splendor colonizer glorifying torture porn. I'm going to be in so much hot water for saying that. Anyway, I wanted to talk about one other book that really caught my attention that we read in ACE literature class. Go for it. So we read a first person account of someone who lived through the Holocaust. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the book is called The Hiding Place and it's by Corey Ten Boom. Okay. So um, as a Jewish man, I can tell you right now that as soon as you brought up Holocaust education, I immediately got the feeling that this was going to be somehow in some way problematic. So I am going to give you some pros and cons. I feel like this is less bad than it could have been. Okay, so like... so the plot of this book, uh, Corey Tenboom, the writer, and her family. Her father was a watchmaker and had like a clock and watch store in Amsterdam uh, during the Holocaust. And she and her family uh, helped Jews get ration cards and helped them feed themselves, and then eventually hid them in the house. Um, they were eventually caught, and Corey and her sister were sent to Ravensbrück, and her sister died there. Corey was eventually released in January 1945 because of a clerical er error. And she was mentioned, she was named Righteous Among the Nations in 1967. And you said that said, sorry, I forgot, yeah, okay. how, to, I forgot how to say the, the organization. Yad, Yad Vashem. Yad, Yad Vashem. Vashem. Okay, thank you. I just yes. don't want to say it wrong. Yeah, so for those wondering, Yad Vashem is the Holocaust memorial that's in uh, Jerusalem. Um, I've been there. They've got a walk outside in which they've got uh, they've got trees that are like monuments to people who save who, who save Jews or who you know it's called the righteous among nations. So um, I think uh, there's a monument there for Oscar Schindler as well. So yeah, so that's what that is. But the yeah, so this this woman this woman uh, a, 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 a good woman who did a righteous yeah, like she did she did a big people. thing. Yeah. Um, the less problematic parts are that Corey and her family, they were Christians, but they didn't like they didn't try to convert the Jewish people that they were hiding and they didn't try to convert the women that were in the camp with them. Like they were pretty chill about that. They kind of just did their own Christian thing off to the side, but they didn't try to convert anybody. Um, Would that be seen as good or bad? I mean, I mean, that's it's complicated. But where, So, like, did you have discussions of this book in class? We didn't have class, remember, bud? Oh, right. You wouldn't talk about stuff. No, so, like, I sat in my like desk and then – No, like I sat in my desk and then wrote down what I thought about it in silence. Right. I'm assuming I, – I, for a second, thought that you had a, a, a real <laughs> education where you talked to people about things that you nope, read. Nope, sorry. No. Um, so the issue that I have with this book, the first thing that I noticed is this is the only piece of Holocaust Holocaust literature that we ever get – like, this is the only firsthand account that we ever get. And the person writing it is a non-Jewish white person. 
So like no matter like her story, it's a really, really good story. And it's really meaningful to Christians because she felt like her faith sustained her through this experience that she had that was terrible. And she's very descriptive of the camp that she was in. And I, I think that's highly important to have a first person description of that. But like her story should is in the place that should be occupied by a Jewish writer. Like her story yeah, so- is good, but it's replacing something that should but they be didn't, there. They didn't have you read Diary of Anne Frank? Of course not. No, there's like same-sex attraction in there. And I think there's some cussing in there. And she totally kisses that one dude. No, dude, I had to fight yeah. tooth and nail to be allowed to borrow somebody's personal copy and read it at home. I literally, I waited for like a year to be allowed to read Diary of Anne Frank. So for, for Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. Oh, Okay, so I've got it. So in this book that that you're that you're, you're describing, so in this book, the Jewish character are they major characters? Or are they just like sort of there? Are they developed like? So I don't remember them people. being well developed, but I don't want to make excuses. This is an autobiography. Autobiography. So Corey wouldn't have known these people, like they were strangers. So I don't know if she knew them well enough to like develop their characters. Yeah, but there's like good well-written autobiographies and there's poorly written ones and like the well-written ones they do like a good job of fleshing out everyone in the story yeah i I agree with what you're saying but she didn't know these people like they were strangers that showed up at her house and she hid them in a fake wall so i i don't know i appreciate what you're trying to say but i'm not 100 percent sure if it applies to this story because she would have had to make things up to make these people be developed characters because they were just strangers that she like help them move around places in the night and help them not get caught. Okay. So here's, here's another question. So would you say that this book had a sort of white savior narrative? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Certainly not the worst I've ever seen in my opinion, but also like I'm a white person. So my opinion isn't the most important here. Okay. So like, cause I, I'm sure this, this woman did something really good and she deserves to be recognized for making a hard choice, but like, so I'm going to ask you something else then um, about the Holocaust. And this is this is not – when you were young, did you believe that the Jews who the Nazis murdered were going to hell because they didn't accept Jesus? I don't think I ever got an official IFB answer about that. It's possible that I never asked or it's possible that I did ask and I forgot what the answer was. Um, personally though, I think if you had asked me, I think it would have been in eighth or ninth grade when I read this book. Uh, if you would have asked me, I think I would have said something along the lines of like, those Jewish people are wrong for not worshiping Jesus, but God kind of forgives that because they're his chosen people. Like I probably would have come up with some kind of like creative loophole answer to be like, no, they didn't all go to hell. Uh, I don't know what the, the actual IFB explanation is. I think that's just where my mindset would have been. Okay. Okay. So here's another question about this book. So the Jewish characters, so they weren't developed really, but in general, would you say that they're portrayed as more like active in their struggle or or were they just sort of like helpless? I would say if I could do one word, they were portrayed as destitute. I mean, I think the first Jewish character that you meet is a man who comes into the 10 boom watch store. He comes in off the street and he has just been attacked and like brutally injured. So the, the Jewish people are portrayed as, dependent on Corey okay. and on her family. Okay. So here's another question then. Like, if you don't mind, I'm going to get political. Is that cool? cool? Cool. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So, okay. So clearly you're, you're clearly familiar with a lot of people who feel very strongly about uh, protecting their rights to own firearms, I assume. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt you would be. So when arguing in favor of gun rights, have you ever heard these people say something along the lines of, well, the Nazis confiscated the guns, and if the Jews had had guns, then the Nazis would not have been able to slaughter them? Like, have you, have you heard that? Because that's an argument that I've heard uh, uh, quite a few times. I know it's common. So I can't place whether I've heard that specific argument, but to be fair, I tune out a lot of that sort of discourse. Uh, every few years, I consciously check in on my political beliefs about different issues. I reevaluate these things, but I don't listen to a lot of rhetoric from any sides in between. Uh, I can say that that absolutely does sound like the kind of thing that a Second Amendment person would say, for sure. Yeah. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a stand on gun rights here because honestly, I, I, I don't know where I stand on this issue. Like, I don't, I don't mind if people have guns. I, you know if they want to have guns for, for personal protection or whatever, like, but so anyway, the problem here with Holocaust education um, is not something that I think is exclusive to ACE Christian schools. Um, Yeah. So you, you've been to my house and so you've been in my bedroom because that's where I've got my recording studio. Uh, And so you've seen that. So there's two flags on my wall. Yeah. I've seen so do you, do you know so do you know what both of those flags are? Uh, one of them is the flag of Israel. I'm not sure. Well, I can't recall yeah. what the other one looks like to begin with. Yes. So the first flag is the flag of Israel, which I bought when I visited Israel. Um, the second flag is the flag of the Zob. What's a what's Zob? So it's something in Polish, but in English, it's the Jewish Combat Organization. So the Jewish Combat Organization was an underground resistance group that was formed in the Warsaw Ghetto when the Nazis occupied and invaded Poland. Um, so in, in your Holocaust education, did they teach you about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising? Uh, uh, I barely learned about the Warsaw Ghetto at all. Oh, that's a. I don't remember travesty. if yeah. I learned about the uprising. Like, I think so. My, I think that would have been something that I actually read about on my own, not something I was taught in school. I'm not sure. That sounds. That sounds about right. Because I mean, they. I mean, even in my history, but like they didn't teach about that. Um, be, but essentially, what had happened was that uh, the Nazis had basically they created a ghetto in Warsaw for, for the Jews. And then they were preparing them to, to be deported to the death camps and the Jews staged an armed insurrection and fought back. And they had weapons, they had guns, they had grenades, they had everything. Um, they weren't as well armed as the Nazis, but they were organized and they fought back. Is this I where mean, you get didn't... like the super awesome pictures of young women in like floral dresses with massive guns looking I mean, like it's... total badasses? This, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm pretty you. sure I may have seen some you'd images ha- You'd from have that. to send me a, a specific okay. picture. I mean, there's there's tons of pictures everywhere. Um, I mean, it, 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 it didn't go well. I mean, th- this idea that the Jews were helpless lemmings that were just like led to the slaughter. Like that is a falsehood. That is a huge problem in Holocaust education in general, not just with you guys in general, but like generally, I think in, in this country, like... And this might make some people uncomfortable to hear this, but I think that Americans have a difficult time sympathizing with victims of state violence or imperialism 
unless those victims are completely helpless and need Americans to come in and rescue them. And so I, and this is also going to uh, raise some people's eyebrows. um, But I fully believe that the reason why Americans care about the Holocaust so much is because we helped defeat the people that did it. Like Americans don't give a about or even know about the Armenian genocide and people like Americans don't care at all about what's going on in China with the Uyghur Muslims but they'll give themselves a big pat on the back for fighting against the Nazis that's an incredibly important point and you definitely yeah and so like well you put that together we're talking about nationalism yeah like you put that together better than I and could guns and stuff like they're like yeah we need we need guns to protect us from the government because if the Jews had guns well we did have guns the government's still gonna like if you can have uh, a, you know you can have as many guns as you want the government's got helicopters dude yeah like rocket launcher like I I don't know sorry I, I'm going off on something and i have i just want to say i have nothing about nothing against the lady that wrote that book i mean she's been named uh, as righteous among the nations and her story is is definitely worthy worthy of being told as part of like a greater story but not like the only lens through which to 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 view this that i mean that's my thoughts exactly i don't think this book is in any way inappropriate for a christian school to have their students read like this is it's a very like as far as christian books it's incredibly interesting uh, and the lady who wrote it was very gracious. Um, you know, she had a lifetime of advocacy after the war and after everything she went through. And she put her her own life in jeopardy to help other people. And, you know, right. it was like the right thing thought, to do. And, and it is a really beautiful story. Like there are things that she perceived to be miracles that kept her alive while she was in the concentration camp. Like, I think all of this, it, it's a really lovely story for a Christian person to read. But it becomes inappropriate when it isn't taught alongside other books by Jewish people that lived a similar experience at the same time. Like one. You didn't read. I'm sure they didn't have you read Night. No, like we didn't have any other first person Holocaust education. And that's not appropriate for one Christian person, one white person's experience to be centered here. Anyway, done with literature. Yeah, we're done okay. with it. Okay, you know what? Yeah. You want to hit a couple hot history takes while we wrap this up? Yeah, okay. So I would absolutely love to know what they have to say about that. So for history, I just have like one funny thing and one absolutely awful thing. So which one do you want first? Let's do funny first. Okay, you ready for another what did you know? <laughs> so yeah. did you know? Yeah. Did you know? Did you know that God helped the English defeat the Spanish Armada because he did not want the new world to be Catholic? So what was it that I said a few episodes ago about people claiming to know the mind of God? Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember what it was, but this seems like a perfect example of that. I can't remember your exact words either. But yeah, we've got prevalent anti-Catholicism as well as prevalent anti-communism just completely throughout the history textbooks. Uh, which ACE calls social studies, even though there is almost zero teaching about world economics or anything that would denote social studies. Uh, By eighth grade, students are being asked to write in their own words why communism is unbiblical. But at this point in the episode, I don't think this is a surprise. 
I think it's funny that they taught you that communism is unbiblical because Israel is the only country where communism has ever been successfully and peaceably Im- implemented. I'm only half <laughs> joking here, but look up what a kibbutz is uh, if you're listening. Um, so, I mean, I wish I had time <laughs> to get into the the political propaganda in here. But it's one of the easier things about ACE to find on the internet. So I'm just going to put some links for our listeners who want to get a little deeper into this. um, Yeah. Because I don't have time to get the political side of this is not something I have a lot of time for today. So just to put a cherry on top of this whole mess before I get your opinion on it. I thought uh, in case anyone wasn't convinced about the racism that is shown in the comic strips, I thought I might read what the ACE curriculum has to say about apartheid in South Africa. Oh. God. Okay. Do I do I want to know? Uh, no. no. <laughs> you know what? Just, no, just I don't think it. you do. But I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna read, read me. The- inject me this right into my veins. So here's the quote. <laughs> The apartheid policy of South Africa is a modern example of this principle. Under the apartheid system, the population of 5 million whites controls most of the nation's wealth. If apartheid were done away with, the 20 million blacks who are not taxpayers would be given the privilege of voting. Within a short period of time, they would control the government and the means of taxation. The power to tax is the power to destroy. Heavy taxation could become a burden to the property owners who actually finance the government and provide jobs. Economics is a major reason that apartheid exists. Some people want to abolish apartheid immediately. That action would certainly alter the situation in South Africa, but would not improve it. I'm I'm speechless. So they're like so so they're saying that because black South Africans were too poor to pay taxes that they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Yes, because then they would install other black South, South Africans and people who are sympathetic to them into political office. And those people would then raise the taxes on the white people who actually own everything. Which is just a great... And that's not okay because... Right. They'll drive us out. Power to taxes. Oh my god, this is a I know it's it, that's that's nasty. These people also say that enslaved black people in the pre-civil war south were blessed by God because they got to come to America and hear about Jesus. Uh they th- there's also they also teach that post-civil war um people who were former slaves who were uh, illiterate and had no political experience would run for office in the South, uh, which is is a, is a historical thing that happened, but they really play it up. Uh, and basically... They're like, they're too dumb to run a country. Like, that was right. their... Like, they, like, that is uh, a thing that happened during Reconstruction, uh, but the point of that story is not uh, black people shouldn't be allowed to hold political office, which is pretty much what they imply. The, no. Anyway, um... They also had, of course, like some ridiculous stuff about Columbus. I'm not even going to put that in this episode because I'm sure you can imagine exactly what they had to say about Columbus. Uh, just like, just like Google it. You can find it online. Uh, so all this, like, I mean, I don't even know how long we've been recording, like hour and a half, if not more. And we have barely scratched the surface of the complete like WTF things this curriculum has to say. Literally, this is just an overview. 
But what more do you expect? This is the curriculum that Lester Roloff supported. You remember Lester Roloff, right? All I remember is that he died in the plane crash. He had those girls' homes that were incredibly abusive. Like, his episode is still coming. Uh, But he used ACE in all of his girls' homes, and he also really helped popularize it nationwide with his evangelical, evangelistic work. That's the word. (laughs) Uh, ACE is also politically related to Betsy DeVos. Oh, the soon-to-be former Secretary of Education. Yes. In what way? So it's not a direct relation, but there is a political connection. She has worked with the conservative think tank Center for National Policy, the CNP. Although she has never actually been employed by them, she has worked with them. The man who started ACE was one of the several co-founders of the CNP. So, like, it's a distant tie, but there's definitely a political relationship there. And and schools that, that run curriculums like ACE depend on government voucher programs like the ones that DeVos is a big fan of. Okay. To stay in business. But okay, so like the, the political right that's something that I need to talk about because I like I for the life of me cannot understand how ACE is legal. Like we have standards for education. We have a Department of Education from the federal government. How is nobody from the federal government looking at what they're teaching and saying, no, that's blatantly wrong. You can't teach people that apartheid South Africa was good in history class. I mean, this is the same the same reason that it's illegal to not vaccinate your children. Like is the same reason that it's legal to teach your children alternate education. Oh, yeah, but that's like alternative facts. You remember that one? Oh, my yeah. God, that seems like a lifetime ago. Oh. So I don't know like what kind of backroom dealings go into making this happen. But this is one thing. When conservatives freak out to the max about the government telling them things they have to teach in a Christian school or teach in homeschool. So like what they will say is they're worried about being made to teach evolution because that goes against their religion. Or that they're worried about being made to take vaccines because those have fetal cells in them, which goes against their religion. But it could be that they're also worried about losing their right to be subtly racist and sexist. Subtly? <laughs> okay. To be racist and to be sexist. Blatantly, blatantly is the word that we want to use And here. to pass on religious propaganda in every facet, every sentence, every phrase of a child's education. It's, I mean, it's, I, I'm, okay, so I'm probably going to piss people off by saying this, but if you're teaching this if you're teaching your kids that apartheid South Africa was good, then the government should take your kids away. See, hearing you say that makes my blood pressure go up. Honestly. like I'm not going to apologize for saying that. I, I think that's true. I'm not asking you to. Yeah. But hearing you say that just shoots my blood push- pressure right through the roof because of the years of propaganda. So like, what I was always told is that no one should be able to tell you what to do with your kids and that statements like the one that you just made are the first step to having the government rip your children away from you because you have a Bible in the home. Oh, once again, these fundy Christians always got to act like they're the victim. I I understand that, but I also want you to understand that it literally gives me physical symptoms to hear you say that because that's called brainwashing. I mean, they're they're popping out babies by the dozen and teaching them this. (laughs) Like teaching them that Beethoven's deafness was punishment from God because he stole sheet music from his brother. What? Oh, like teaching their children that dancing is bad and that when Abraham Lincoln met his wife, Mary Todd, at a dance, he must not have known that it was a sin. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack (laughs) there. 
But any, anyway, um, my point is that you should not be allowed to have a million kids and then fill their brains with garbage and then unleash them onto the world. And like with this, like their bat insane worldviews. I mean, but like we let these people vote. Yeah. Like I know that like I know that we just had an election and every vote like should be the same, but it's legitimately upsetting to me that somebody with this nonsense education gets the same say in who the president is that I do. I mean, yeah, like these people were taught in school that there's no such thing as an endangered species. These people were taught in school that climate climate change isn't a thing. <sighs> Can you imagine trying to go to college after this being your elementary and high school education? Okay, so like college kicked my ass and challenged my views on like everything that I, and I had a good education leading up to it. So like when you hear right people, right wing people saying that college campuses are liberal indoctrination, they're literally teaching their kids that slavery was a privilege because it gave the opportunity to accept Jesus where it might not have been able to otherwise. So the Venn diagram ah. of these types of people isn't a circle but it's kind of nearly a circle um this is another reason that people go to hiles anderson or go to pensacola or other like bible colleges because as i'm sure you can imagine this leaves you so unprepared for a real college okay so but like i'm trying to imagine what would have happened to you if you decided to go to a real college instead of that fundy meat grinder cult brainwashing dog ear funnel I had somewhat better education the last couple years of high school because we switched to a more rigorous curriculum. But even with that, like I would have I would have been fine in in mathematics and English at a real college. And I probably could have been okay at, with history. Uh I would have just had to get over a lot of revisionist history stuff. Uh I mean, revisionist history is one way of putting absolute <laughs> fiction. But even with that, I don't I don't think I could have hacked it at a real college. Like I even even with that, I think it would have been so incredibly difficult. Like I'm I'm taking sociology now in in real college. I don't think it would have made it a, any sense at all to me at 18. So I for one think that it is very fortunate that you got out of the system with your brain remaining. But I also think that it is an absolute travesty that you were deprived of a proper education. Well, no, I'm back in school and I'm going to have a real bachelor's degree in a couple of years in a, a real field where I can have a real career. So take that, Ace Ferguson. Yeah. And so th this is this is a point that I just can't not stress enough that as humans, as people, we never stop learning, right? You know, in fact, we should try as hard as we can to keep learning, to keep reading, to keep exploring different points of view, because I think that, you know, that makes us not just smarter, but like better people. And so while Sadie is, you know, 27 and she's going back to school, I would like to encourage anybody young or old, that if you are not happy with the way that you have been educated, if you, you know, say you went to this sort of nonsense, sorry excuse for a school, I, I don't even know why we let it be called school. It's, um, but like, if you are not happy with the way that you were educated, if you wish that there was something that you knew, there are educational options for you. 
And especially like if you were raised with, you know, what wasn't so much an education as like a religious indoctrination and propaganda with a system that rejected everything that wasn't directly confirming of that and told you that you weren't allowed to interact with anything that wasn't confirming of that. It is not over for you. And there is so much knowledge out there. And you can always go back to school and you can always read more books. And you know, it never ends, but we we never stop growing. We never stop learning and we never stop getting better and we never stop getting smarter. And if you did go to a school like this, you can pick up the pieces and learn stuff. You know, you don't have to. I mean, here's the thing. If you if you grew up going to a, an ACE Christian school and you feel like your elementary and high school education was severely lacking, you don't have to learn how to diagram sentences if you don't want to. You don't have to learn. Oh, I don't remember how to diagram a sentence. Like, you know, I do, but that's because I, I'm weird and I love diagramming sentences. It's one of the things that I'm into that is totally weird. Um, but you don't have to know that to be an adult. You don't have to know the president's in order. Uh, you don't have to know every state capital. Like, you don't have to treat yourself like you're in school. You can just go learn what you like. You can just go learn what's fun to you. Uh, there are, like, so many YouTube videos about science. It's ridiculous. And history yeah. and all kinds of stuff. You can just go learn things and it's it's great. Do that. Yeah. I mean make sure make sure you're you're learning from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and not somebody who's Yeah, yeah. Learn to, what a reference like a reference looks like. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, we could have a a, a workshop on that or we something. We need to do know. a video on like what is a good reference and what is not. Yeah, because we, you know, when we're making the show, we have to do a lot of that sort of stuff. We have to be like, okay, is this reliable? Can we like because I will right because I will not tell you people the listeners something unless I know that it is true, either from my own experience or because I have a decent reference. Yeah, or or also like if somebody's if if and if something is like not quite like you're like I'm not a hundred percent sure about this, but I've heard it from enough people. You'll say that right. You'll say I've heard it from like eight or ten people that this thing has happened, but I won't say that it's a hundred percent true because there isn't a, a documentary like yeah um i mean just like god i mean i'm just trying to imagine like if you came out of the system then your ability to identify what is good information and what is bad information has got to be it's completely so compromised yeah that's like and that's just like a like a basic skill that like you know I don't know. To me, like, and I heard somebody say this uh, the other day when they were talking about the election. I think it was on NPR. Where if you read an article or something and it gives you like an immediate, intense emotional reaction, um, that is a reason why you should doubt that article is true. Like, if you read something that it like gives you an immediate, intense emotional reaction, maybe dig a little bit deeper into that because you know if if that's the case, then. You know, they're probably trying to manipulate your emotions and try to get you to react a certain way. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fake, but that just is a reason why you should treat it with skepticism. Yeah. Right. But there's nothing wrong with treating something with skepticism. You know? Let's... Yeah. Anyway, so that's my education. Yeah. How did you like that? Oh, my God. We should title this episode The Miseducation of Sadie Carpenter. Oh, that's actually – that's great. You can put – But then people will – like if people are listening back, they'll think that, that we're going to do the Lauren Hill episode. They'll they'll listen to this and they'll be like, no, this isn't the Lauren Hill episode. And then they'll... <laughs> well, we'll come, we'll come up with uh, something. We'll come we could up with call something. it anyway. Take That Ace Ferguson. 
take that age purchase. Oh my god, I can't believe they used to teach you that stuff. Anyway, we got it. We got to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, this this was so. a long one, but I see. I had fun. This is one of those like things that I'm like, oh, this isn't even traumatic. This is just funny at this point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, on that, um, I think it's time for us to end this episode. Uh, once again, you have been listening to the Leaving Eden podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, on Facebook and Instagram, it is at Leaving Eden Podcast. On Twitter, it is at Leaving Eden Pod. Send us an email at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Uh, Sadie, if you want to plug our social media and our new social media that we have now. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. Uh, and then I'm doing, you can do, you can follow the podcast on TikTok at Leaving Eden Podcast. TikTok. I've, TikTok is so fun. I am I loving TikTok with a passion. I am loving, see, that's funny because I'm technically older by like three months <laughs> yeah no but like I'm, I'm actually really enjoying tiktok and i'm putting uh videos of myself in in ankle length denim skirts on there so please go enjoy that yeah so uh, you can follow me my name is gabriel hakon you can follow me on facebook instagram twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n um yeah uh, uh, thank you very much and you guys have a nice day bye-bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.